Good morning and welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. I woke up in the dark again this morning thinking, why do I feel so crappy? And I realized this is just day two of daylight saving time. Um, and I'm not going to complain about it anymore except to say that it's completely unnecessary. It's terrible. It's the government doing this to us. We shouldn't have to move our clock. So I don't know that. Wait a minute, Charlie. Yeah. Charlie, you have accidentally hit on one of my biggest hobby horses. Please. You... Uh, uh, you do not like the move to daylight savings time? Is that correct? I, like I didn't switch. listen to yesterday's I, I, show. I was on vacation. I don't want to switch back and forth. I just, I just don't. I just okay. stick, stick with with one permanent thing. daylight savings time. Then Fine. permanent. We need the late. We need the late sunshine. I mean, it's just crucial for mental health purposes. And uh, I've been a longtime advocate of this. And I was horrified that Marco Rubio has come out forcefully in favor of it. Um, you know the whole broken clocks theorem. I guess. Yeah. Well, okay, but what I love about this is that this feel, this feels like one of the debates that we used to have in the before times, <laughs> when when we could debate it and we could talk about it. You know, I used to I used to have a really really uh, a thing I would do every year when I was uh, uh, when I was on the radio right around Christmas time. We would have these really vigorous debates about real versus artificial Christmas trees. And you know the the thing about it is you could you could sound really intense about it, but you know ultimately, <laughs> but it was good. It was to have debates like that. It's it's like it's like arguing sports or things where nobody dies really at the at the end. Okay, so where do we start today? We start with JD Vance. We start with Ron John. We start with Mario Cuomo. We start with uh, with Tucker Carlson. I, I don't know. You mind if I start with Tucker Carlson just for a second? Let's do it, Charlie. <laughs> Okay, so Tucker has moved on from justifying racism to um, asking questions, raising questions about vaccines. This was this was Tucker Carlson last night. So all of this should prompt some pretty tough questions for our public health experts in this country. And one of those questions is how effective is this coronavirus vaccine? How necessary is it to take the vaccine? Don't dismiss those questions from anti-vaxxers. Don't kick people off social media for asking them. Answer the questions. <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm, I'm not going to try to get the explicit rating like this early in the podcast, but you know, bleep you, Tucker. Uh, what's interesting? I want to sort of back into this. I've, I've been listening to uh, a lot of Tucker audio lately. You know, in in part because I was inspired by the John Oliver thing, which if you haven't seen, is is really fantastic. And the thing about Tucker Carlson, it's a little bit like, and I think I asked you this before this, if you ever like binge watch a show like 24, remember 24, I used to binge watch five or six in a row. And after a while, what happens is you start to see the strings in the background, you start to see the formula, um, you know, over and over, nothing becomes surprising. It's like, oh, this again, it's like a, like a clockwork machine. And it's the same thing watching Tucker, that if you watch enough, basically, it's the same shit over and over and over again. I'm just asking questions. If I ask these questions, are you going to throw me off? OK, uh, so, Tucker, uh, you know, fine about asking the questions. They've been an- asked and answered over and over and over again. You can't play the victim card on everything. You can't play the they're silencing me just because I said some grotesquely racist thing, just because I've said some grotesquely, you know, put out some grotesque amount of disinformation. You're going to silence me. It's cancel culture. After about the 20th time you've heard it, you go, oh, my God, it's the same shtick over and over again. So that's my Tucker land. The plutocracy, the elites. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just on the firstly, just on the merits of, of this kind of vaccine thing, um, I, for starters, 
Tucker could have somebody on the show to just answer the questions. Right? I mean, he's not asking these deeply penetrating questions that are that that are you know considered to be wrong speak that nobody can mention on any news or social media outlet. I mean, there are extensive explainers, um, you know, that, that go through uh, people's concerns about the vaccines on pretty much every major news outlet. Um, you can find, you know, one of my friends is a kind of one of these uh, influencer doctors who does a lot of interviews and answers these kind of questions. I'm sure he would be happy to go on Tucker's show. Uh, so I just, you know, the, the whole the whole premise is just uh, malarkey, as our new president would say. Uh, but, but beyond that, it's just like the depravity of Tucker it is really kind of astounding. And I, and I was reading Matt Iglesias this morning, who was talking about kind of the failure of the meritocracy. And, and, and he was, it was getting into the difference between Bush and Trump. And he's like, there's this big fight on the left where it's like, you know, a lot of the Bernie bros who, who are kind of Trump curious, like to say, well, Bush was actually worse because the Iraq war and, 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 da, 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 da. but, but Iglesias like, what it comes down to is like, eventually when you have really bad people, um, that, that only care about, you know, power and money in charge of things, like things go badly. And like, yeah. there was something to be said about kind of the old school, you know, noblesse oblige. And this is how I, like my reaction to Tucker, like, this is a bad person. Like he's behaving badly. And, and there are going to be people that watch this show that don't get the vaccine that die. There are going to be people that don't watch this show that die because their friends and family didn't get, get the vaccine. I mean, we are right at the finish line. We of are this r- right right at the bubble i mean it's just like this is the tipping point right now we will either have people take the vaccines and reach herd immunity or we're going to slide back down the other side of the mountain here my metaphors so i mean and it is it it is really a matter of of life or death It, it is depravity that's not too strong a word and it's a, it's bad. It's just I hate I use people throw this around on social media all the time. Like you're a baddie, he's a baddie, she's a baddie. Like this is a just a bad person. It's just a bad person. Like like he's not. This is not a serious effort to try to get to the. This is not a news gathering effort to try to get to the bottom of what's happening with the vaccine. It's just he's throwing out some some bullshit and and seeding doubt in his audience because he knows what they that's what they want to hear. And as a result, a, a few more people, maybe tens, twenties, who knows knows hundreds are gonna die and, and like I, it's just I, it just it makes me mad on the inside uh, um, well, and, and it, it is and because we are so close we are so close to to having an end to all of this so again can, these, can these, i ask you though charlie yeah. I, well part of the thing for me is i can't i can't get to the bottom of this whole vaccine thing i think which kind of exposes just sort of how shallow this whole mindset is is like Weren't we just arguing last week about how like Trump isn't getting enough credit for the vaccine? Like it is is pretty odd, right? That like at the same time he wants credit for all the great work that is happening in the Biden administration, getting people's vaccine in the arms. But on the other hand, the vaccine might be evil. Like, don't you got to pick a button? On this one? Well, that yes. And, you know, you could certainly imagine a an alternative reality in which uh, in, in which even after the election, rather than talking about the coup and trying to overturn the election, if, if he had talked about vaccination, taken credit for Operation Warp Speed, which, you know, quite frankly, you know, he, he could have done quite plausibly. Right. If he would have worked on a distribution plan, he could have made the whole vaccination thing about him and his presidency and taken credit for it. Right. But of course, he didn't. This is an interesting tell. There's this big debate back and forth. You know, should should Donald Trump be more outspoken? Should we, you know, recruit him to talk, you know, to MAGA world about this? 
And I think there's a reason why he won't do it is, is that it, and it, it's kind of one of the dirty little secrets is that on a lot of issues, Donald Trump doesn't lead. He follows and he's right. just terrified of getting crossways with the hardcore anti-vaxxers. He's afraid of coming out and saying we're having, you know, taking the vaccine in public and then having the anti-vaxxers go, well, he's betrayed us. So, I mean, this is this is a guy who is never going to get out in front of his own people, even when it comes to something like this, even when it would have benefited him personally. Yeah, I mean, that's a, one of his key secrets, right? He was always a bottom-up guy. And a yeah. lot of his grossest stuff came from, like, the depths of the Donald.win and all the Reddit forum and all the stuff. And, the, 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 you know, Scavino would see it. And then, you know, they'd talk about it on the plane and Donald would test drive it. And then people liked it and it'd stick, right? I mean, that's, like, where a lot of this – this stuff didn't all – you know, all the worst, you know, ideas and, you know, put downs of the Trump administration didn't come from his brain, right? I mean, a lot of it was stolen memes, right? And so he very much, very much is a top down guy. But yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned this, this two month period. Because I, I you know, uh, our friends who are, you know, are uh, the former balls and strikes types, you know, I got into a fight uh, this weekend, uh, which I shouldn't have done because I was on vacation. But sometimes I just can't help myself um, on social media with some National Review types who, who were who were saying like, I just I just don't understand why we can't give Operation Warp Speed the credit that it deserves. And and, you know, we we, we called balls and strikes. We said that he should be impeached and removed once he, you know, uh, incited a coup. But but why can't we also give the coup some credit for Operation Warp Speed? And it's just like, I'm like, that's fine. I'm like, I'm open to the idea that Operation Warp Speed was good. And, and like that there were some good things that happened there. But but like you can't just memory hole. The fact that for two months, when, when we should have been having this baton handoff in the middle of a crisis, you know, that the Biden administration was blocked out of doing anything because Donald Trump was trying to steal the election. Right. You can't just, you can't was just that. pretend like that didn't happen. Like the, every week counts. Now we have this new strain coming out of England that we, that is manifesting in Florida and other places. Um, and, and, you know, every, like we were just saying earlier, every week that this thing goes on is going to be another, you know, 5,000 deaths or something before everybody gets vaccinated. You can't tell me that, that, that we couldn't have had the vaccine ramp up happen quicker had we had a president that spent two months working with the incoming administration to speed this up. Like you can't you just you just can't tell me that that, that, that he didn't foul this up by by trying a coup for two months so so I, it's hard for me to say okay well great job operation warp speed I guess but the but Trump once again, um, you know, sc completely screwed he it up. He could have made a difference. He could have made a difference. I and mean, as far as I can tell, he he threw out one line. You know, get the get the shot. He he used the line at CPAC once, and then basically ignored it. Look, he yeah. could have made a difference. You have the the one demographic group that is the least likely to be vaccinated now are what uh, white male Republicans. Yeah. Uh, but but he wasn't willing to do that. He wasn't willing to use his bully pulpit. Uh, he wasn't willing to spend any political capital. Which you know, and there we are. Speaking of memory holes, though, you know, I. I don't want to be this to become like the Ron Johnson hour, <laughs> but Ron Johnson, there's there's a formula out there that people need to understand. And in my, in my newsletter this morning, I kind of link the Tucker Carlson, Ron Johnson formula together, which is, you know, Tucker Carlson's big line now, I mean, is that, you know, you know, it's is, is it bigoted for me to say that I don't want to live in a country that doesn't look like the one I grew up in? You know, and John Oliver goes, yes, yes, that's exactly what what it looks like to be racist. But but Tucker's 
formula is you, you say this racist thing, you deny it's racist at all, you claim victim status if anybody calls you on it, then you fundraise off claims of that, saying that you're a victim of cancel culture and you repeat it. So of course, Ron Johnson, who had his, you know, you know, the 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 fine people who showed up on January 6th thing, um, that they didn't bother him because they they look like you know his buddies as opposed to Black Lives Matter folks. He's in the Wall Street Journal with an op-ed piece saying, I will not be silenced. It is sort of like the, <laughs> we're, going, we're getting the, we're going through the routine here. Okay. So you say a racist thing, you, uh, you deny that it's racist. You get all like, I'm, I'm, I'm a victim. I will not be silenced. And I will tell you that, and, and I may get some blowback on this. I believe that Ron Johnson genuinely is shocked to think that when he said that he looks at the at the insurrectionists and thinks, hey, nothing to worry about there as opposed to Black Lives Matter. I believe that he it's become so normalized. He's been listening to the Tucker Carlson world like, can't we be able to say these bold things, you know, without being accused of being racist? I, I believe that this is his this is his worldview, that, that he genuinely believes yeah. there's nothing racist about what he said. I agree with that. I think that there, you know, were people in the Jim Crow South that genuinely believed that it was, you know, better for Black folks to also be able to have their own water fountains, right, and that it benefited everybody. I, 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 I I'm with you on this. I, I think that you know, I've mentioned this before on this podcast, but his, if you, if you haven't gone back and read it, his phone call with Mark Becker, which we pub, published mm-hmm. a few months ago, he basically he says this to Mark in a private conversation, like the Trump, the MAGA voters love this country. The the people that go to Bernie Sanders rallies don't. I mean, I, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, yeah. but it was something to yeah. that effect. Uh, and and so I, I genuinely think he believes this. But uh, you know, the the effort by him, and then you look at there was this article in the American Greatness, you know, by uh, our friend Julie Kelly this morning that talks about how these people are political prisoners and they didn't do it; they were just exercising their political rights. Um, I, you know, this is a multi pronged, multifaceted effort. Uh, by you know people like Ron who are willing to go there and say this wasn't a big deal at all this was less you know bad than the Black Lives Matter protests and then by another you know kind of the next group down the path which is more willing to kind of just muddy the waters and say well, yeah it was bad but I mean look at what happened in Portland um, to 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 basically try to minimize this and try to make it like it's not any different than you know a ran- random street violence that happens some weekend you know in, in in a given town as if there's no special significance to storming the, our to having our capitol building be stormed to have our peaceful tra- transition of power interrupted for the first time in our history to have people with flags carrying a candidate's name on it uh, storming a uh, president's name on it storming the building I, I mean like there there are there is just kind of a difference of gravity here that Definitely is so bad. obvious to all the rest of us but I, I I think that there's a concerted effort by some people to 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 to, to you know eat, to flatten that difference and then and then I also think that like you're saying there are people like Ron Johnson that just I like just genuinely are more scared of the Black Lives Matter people than they are of of the MAGA MAGA people and 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 just can't wrap their heads around the fact that it was their own supporters that killed killed a yeah. cop. No, I mean honestly, there are people who will will say you know look at a black person and say that person is likely to uh, to attack me, to rape me, and to into shoplift. Okay, and they're probably lazy as well. But that's not racist, is it? That's just I mean that's just not and and it that it doesn't 
And they've created now all of these, these defenses and the denial to be able to, you know, not address this. And, that, and that's one of the things that Tucker Carlson is, is doing. So, but again, Ron Johnson was what, three weeks ago, was reading the Federalist article that it was maybe Antifa, yeah. but he was just asking questions, just asking questions. And you're trying to silence me and cancel me because I'm asking the questions. I mean, it's, it, it has become kind of like, OK, let's just pull out the laminated card with a formula on it this sort of thing. But. Even in the journal article, I liked the line that it was like, it was only 800 people that stormed the Capitol oh <laughs> out God. of all these patriots. And, and everybody like, else was very fine people. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was like just the 800. Oh uh, yeah, right, yeah. The very fine people was the rest, but just the 800. I mean, how many, you know, people did it take to do some of the other great terrorist attacks in our, in our history? A lot of times it was just the one, the one gunman, um, you know, the 19 uh, on the planes on 9-11. Oh. It's just like, oh, only 800? I, I, that seems pretty significant to me. Well, speaking of our bitterly divided country, yeah, we, we need to talk about the dogs and cats thing again. Are we bitterly divided, though? I don't know, Joe, but we have like 70% approval for that uh, for that COVID bill. Oh, do, you're, no. are you going to try to, are you going to make, I said dogs finally and cats. out myself as an anti-dogite right now? No, Charlie? no, you're, you're, you're already outed. I just, you, you, you've escaped most of the fire here. There's a, there's a guy, um, a, 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 a columnist blogger named Paul Ogden, who has a really outstanding piece. I, I, I will say though, um, what Charlie Sykes does not understand about cats and dogs and the people who own them. And it's uh, <clears throat> sort of an attack on my position. Um, not, not really, but uh, so the, let me just read you two paragraphs here. On one of last week's podcasts, Sykes complained that other bulwark writers, Sarah Longwell and Jonathan Last, diss dog owners who post pictures of their pets on social media. Longwell said the dog owners do that because they're trying to humanize themselves. Longwell has it wrong. Dog owners know they are human. They are just not sure they are human beings who are loved. So they post pictures of themselves with their pets to prove that another living, breathing mammal cares about them. Social media is filled with photos of dog owners with their pets. Yet when cat owners post pictures of their pets, which is quite often, they rarely include themselves in the picture. Why? Because we cat owners know the world loves us. We don't have to prove that fact. Now, that's an interesting theory, right? Um, it made me feel very sad for dog owners. And just if that if anybody does feel that way, once we both have our coronavirus vaccine shots, I will give you a hug when we see each other. Next no, time. no, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that I I think, you know, cat, cats, cats love you in a different way than dogs. I mean, dogs are like, you know, there and they're, you know, slobbering and you know, showing you affection 24 seven. Cats are basically like you live or die. I really don't care. And, you know, I'm going to I'm going to sit here and lick my paws and think about whether I'm going to murder you in the middle of the night. No, not neurotic at all or any of those things. Could I just point out something, though? There are no hero cats. I mean, there 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 are no uh, no police departments have feline units. Right. No, no. There's no cat corps in the army. No, no cats have ever run into burning buildings to save anybody. No cats have ever sniffed out a bomb. Right. No, 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 no cats have ever, you know, subdued a rapist or, you know, pushed a little boy out of the way of a, of a, a truck or anything like that. No cat ever saved Timmy from the well. You know what I'm saying? Just, um, I'm just, do, do, you remember in, do you remember in Goodwill Hunting when, uh, when Matt Damon was on the couch and, uh, you know, Robin was trying to, you know, he was, he was supposed to be getting psychological help from Robin Williams and, Robin kept kind of, you know, talking about I forget was it the ducks in this painting and 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 
that and Matt Damon looked back at him and said, I, f- I feel like you're you're getting pretty obsessed here. Like, is this something that we need to spend spend some time with? <laughs> I'm a little concerned about your level of of commitment to the bit here with the dogs. No, no. You know, see, there's something deeper. That, is there something I, underneath Charlie's skin that we need to kind of get to to understand why it's I, such a I, passionate I, point? We felt we felt attacked. It was we didn't begin this thing. So I just we didn't begin it, but we will we we will uh, we will end it. So um, you don't want to talk about dogs and cats anymore because well, I, I can go on. I, just, I can I go just, on for I, a very long. time. I feel time. uncomfortable because here's the thing, Charlie, is that I did, I didn't have any pets growing up, and and got, and that's well, great. By the way, I'm not mad at my parents. I thought that is great. Okay. You know, we did lots of great things. I don't I don't hate you, mom or dad. Um, and so I just don't get it. And and I just don't get. And the mm-hmm. animals are nice to look at. I enjoy going just, to the zoo. Don't, don't but like, it. as far as companionship, right. I don't understand. And so, though, when it's people have it. these kind of conversations, I don't feel like I can participate because I don't yeah. know how to connect with them, and that that's frustrating for me. And so, I just kind of get, I get, I get uncomfortable. Okay, so have you met other people in I'm terms of companionship? In terms of uh, you know determining who you want to spend time with? Yeah, I'm um, I'm I'm saying it's overrated. If, if you hang out. <laughs> with dog, and I feel this way more strongly in the pandemic. Okay, so speaking of vaccinations again, okay, here's a here's an interesting dilemma, because we've been pretty much locked down. I mean, I we've been at a in, in a scale of one to ten, pretty much a nine lockdown. I don't know yeah. what, what, how would you describe your situation? Yeah, probably eight or nine. Yeah, oh, we've okay, been pretty locked down. So my wife and I have both been vaccinated. We both had our second shots. We both had the two week period and everything. And you know what? It's like still mentally like, well, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, we, you know, we could go anywhere and do anything, but we have this mental block. I mean, it, it's, it's like we have to talk ourselves into, you know, we could actually do these things. We could actually go to spring break in Florida. Yeah, well, here's, here's what I would tell you. I, I, have, I, have a, I have a good recommendation here for you, Charlie. So we last week drove to the desert. This is mm-hmm. why I said I guess I give myself an eight. We, we, a number of times we've gone to, give, to do Airbnbs because, like, we're so locked down in our home that, like, you know, I feel like I'm going crazy in this house sometimes. So we'll just, like, go to an Airbnb for a weekend. And so we drove to the desert. Uh, which, you know, in the off season, um, like right now is, and you know, when, when you have a pandemic, the, the, the locals are all 65 plus right mm-hmm. um, out, out in the desert. And so when we would go to pick up takeout for dinner, I mean, it was like reverse spring break for seniors in the desert. I mean, everybody is vaccinated. They're drinking their margaritas. Like the music was up. So I would recommend a trip to the desert if I were you, Charlie. I think that that would be a nice little holiday for for you guys to be around other vaccinated people and kind of a... You know, maybe not a retirement community, but like a, a J, retire below. But they like flash signs to each other. It's like little V signs, like, hey, vaccinated, I'm vaccinated too. You know, that, that's, that's, I, that's, I that's didn't get in on the lingo, but it definitely felt like there was a mix and mingle vibe at some of these at some of these bars in the desert, for sure. Well, it, it does feel like kind of a superpower. I will say that. It's like, you know, but I don't know. I don't know what I can actually... I can actually do. Okay, so we switch. People are saying, you know, hey, get back to the, the substance. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, I, I, I don't want to talk about Wisconsin politics anymore. I'm 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 done. So we can talk about Ohio politics, which I don't know whether people have been following. I'm, I'm assuming people have not been following it closely, but they they appear to be having like the Arizona disease right now, or or which which other one? This this process of watching Republican parties just sort of immolate themselves by having this mad competition: who is the Trumpiest? 
and the open Senate seat in Ohio, I mean, is turning out to be this almost cartoon version of what's happening in the Republican Party. So you got Josh Mandel, who just tweets out anti-Islamic stuff. You have J.D. Vance, who is the the author of Hillbill Elegy, uh, Elegy, who, uh, Elegy uh, who just got $10 million from Peter Thiel. Um, and then you got some businesswoman who is proposing to name schools after Donald Trump. I mean, what what what's going on in Ohio, Tim? Look, we're going to talk about this Senate race a lot um, because, and and I think some people might be like, why why are you so obsessed with talking about the Ohio Senate race? But this it's an important it's the canary in the coal mine. There's there's this big debate, obviously this you know kind of happening at all these conservative publications about what is to happen with the what does the post Trump era look like? Blah blah blah. The Ohio Senate primary is an encapsulation of where everything is going, and it's not pretty. And so you know when you have uh, Mandel and Vance and, and Jane Timken is the businesswoman you're okay. discussing, Jane the former Timken. Ohio GOP chair. Uh, you know, I, I, I mentioned this in, in a weekend triad a couple weeks ago. You know, since Mandel and Timken had gotten in, like 75% of their tweets had mentioned Donald Trump. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, it's just it was a total, you know, Trump suck up hour from, from both of them. Like all of their attacks on each other are either about how they were too nice to John Kasich in the past or too mean to Donald Trump. This was, by the way, two people who respectively endorsed Marco Rubio and John Kasich in the 2016 primary. So this is they not to wipe that off them, right? They have yeah, to yeah, exactly. Them, right? yeah. Um, and then you have J.D. Vance wrote, he'll Elegy, oh, you know, I, you know, then went and become a VC, and and he's separating himself. You know, I, he was talking about politics, but he was it's mostly kind of giving VC. Yeah, a venture capitalist. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he went to make some money after he wrote his book. He's got this Netflix show. And, and so he was doing a lot of these kind of panels where it was more like cultural commentary than actual political. And, and all of a sudden, you start about, about uh, you know, a couple weeks after the insurrection, because he wouldn't want to weigh in on that. He had, I, I, I scrolled through his Twitter feed and he said nothing from January 1st to January 23rd. Um, but, um, but then, you know, all of a sudden these tweets start coming about how, oh, you know, uh, maybe Q was on to something, you know, oh, because yeah. uh, because of you know John Weaver and and Harvey Weinstein, and you know he picks like a couple of like completely random things. Like, hey, could you blame these people for believing that there was a baby eating human pedophile ring? Um, and you know he does a number of like uh, he's been like retweeting Tucker Carlson's White Power Hour a lot, and just his whole tone has gotten very. Very, um, you know, kind of Trumpy, and so you know what we ha- what we have here now is this kind of pretty high profile with Teal putting his money in, and the Mercers, by the way, also who funded Breitbart and it's and Trump mm-hmm. are putting money into Vance, and then you have Mandel, whose whose tweet that you mentioned was like, you know, we are a Judeo Christian nation, not a Muslim nation. CC Rashida Tlaib and Ilan Omar, like it was like apropos. Not that that would have been an okay tweet if it was apropos of something, but it was apropos of nothing, just like in the middle of the day. It's like I'm just going to attack a little, you a on your casual. religion. Racism. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. And, I mean, that it's not, 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 not subtle. But apparently, this is what he thinks plays with the with the base. Yeah. And then you've got Tim Kinn who's trying to rename things after Donald Trump. You know, Donald Trump Field, Donald Trump Street. So, I, like, I mean, this is it. Like, there is no, you know, if you want to feel dark about where things are going, there's no lane in this prime. Like, the whole highway is just MAGA, right? There's no lane in this highway that's like for a never Trumper. There's no lane for people who are like, I think we need to move on past them. Like, there's not even any lane for people who are like, what happened on January 6th was bad. Yeah. Right. And, and so, Maybe things will develop differently in other states and other places. This is kind of one of the more early developing 
primaries. I don't think so. I, I think that what it is is just, you know, a, a view into where things are going. I think that literally Lisa Murkowski will be will be the only Republican candidate who pushes back against Trump or January 6th. On the, she'll be the only Republican on the ballot in uh, in November 2022. I, I think it's that that's where it's heading. Then. And she might end yeah. up having to be an independent, you know, like yeah. they get well, that she, top two thing in, in, in Alaska. So I don't know exactly how that'll shake out, but the Republican Party's talking about nominating somebody else. So yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you on that. And, and, and if you don't mind, can I just do a, a quick rant on J.D. Vance for a second? Because sure. I, I, I don't, I never got that deep into the hillbilly elegy kind of debate and and sort of neutral, you know, this was a, a hot button for a while on hillbilly elegy. But as I understand it, the the premise of this, right, is that there, there are these communities that are kind of, that are forgotten communities, and they've been forgotten by our elite institutions. You know, they've been hollowed out by, you know, f- you know uh, big pharma, you know, and, and uh, kind of opioid epidemic. And, uh, you know, they're all the kind of coastal elite liberal you know, meritocracy doesn't care about what happens in these communities that the Republican Party was bought out by, you know, big businesses. So they didn't care. And so that these these people were kind of left, you know, without anybody who actually cared about them. And like, I don't you know, there's something to that, actually, to that mm-hmm. argument. Right. But 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 where the biggest problem, the biggest hole is, is for me is like, OK, well, then what? Right. Like what what is the answer to that? Because the people that are tr- that are using J.D. Vance, the Peter Thiel's and the Mercer's and the Bannon's and the Trump's to, to claim that they are the ones that care about that whole are just as phony, if not more phony and, and more malicious than than the people that he was complaining about in the first place. I mean, over the last two months from the election. What bigger scam has happened on rural MAGA America than Stop the Steal? I mean, Donald Trump like put tens of millions of dollars into his pocket from small dollar donation from his supporters who believed the, the, the fabricated lie that he could win the election. And then some of them are in jail now because they believed it so much that they came to the Capitol and stormed the Capitol and are now, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, criminals and have a, have a record, right? If you you are a person that genuinely cares about how these people are getting scammed and left behind by elites. Don't you look at point your finger at Donald Trump and say you are the, as guilty as anybody in America of this, not to mention Trump, you and all of his other stiffing contractors, et cetera, et cetera. Like that, that is where all this stuff feels so hollow to me. And so for him to get into the race, you know, um, as a as a Trump MAGA person, I, I think would just reveal him to be about as phony as anybody in the country. Am I am I overstating that? No, and but but none of these things ever seems to register with them. I mean, the the the, the, the massive grift and all of this stuff. You know, I the for for I'm, I'm sorry. This 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 may seem like a slight digression, but you know, the the story that I was reading this morning. So Jared Kushner goes to uh, Israel. And runs up a twenty-four thousand dollar home uh, hotel bill, which he sticks to the taxpayers. I mean, Jared Kushner, who's worth you know, a gazillion dollars. So you know, he jets off to his last official trip to Israel, and runs up a twenty-four thousand dollar hotel bill. And you would think that in any other context, people would go, "Okay, this is really arrogant, entitled, whatever." And and then he turns around and he's like doing this big, you know, multi-million dollar business deal and everything. And, and like, how does this relate to the hillbilly elegy world? Right. I mean, what, what is the connection? So I have another question about 
the, the the Republican reaction to Trump that everything's all Trump. Okay, so let's let's just assume that we we know that they don't care about you know the 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 coronavirus failure, the cruelty, the the coup. Okay, let's just assume that that Republicans are okay with all that stuff. You know, they're sitting watching this massive spending bill that the Democrats have pushed through, watching the the Democrats control um, Congress, control the United States Senate, because. I mean, the proximate cause being because Donald Trump's tantrum cost them two Senate seats that they should have won in the state of Georgia. You would think that at least if none of the principles matter, that people in the Republican Party would be kind of pissed at the fact that Donald Trump essentially sabotaged the Senate Republicans. There's no way they should have lost those Senate seats. And they did because Donald Trump was more interested in forcing people to support the coup. Um, and you know, uh, was attacking Georgia officials. I mean, am I wrong about this? I mean, you know, are, are you ready for the, my answer to this, Charlie? Yes, please. This yes. just shows how cucked they are. Because the next yeah. time you have Josh Crosshour on, yeah. your friend Josh, because this tweet is sticks in my mind. Okay. On the morning of the sixth, Crosshour sent a tweet about how mad McConnell World was. Right? It was like it was like they felt that that Donald Trump cost them the election, and that they were going to go to war. Like, uh, you know, he sent this tweet about how they were going to go to war um, <laughs> with uh, um, with the Trump with, with the Trump faction. And and within like 24 hours or 48 hours, Josh Holmes had been like, oh, well, you know, that was maybe a little overstated about going to war. And then Josh Holmes know, being the, a, a like three guy, weeks yeah. later, it was there is no civil war. Right. So so they were mad. They did pin it on Trump. But they just you know have 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 decided that like they don't think that they can win the fight and so it's better to just kind of tuck their tail and swallow their pride and 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 kind of go back in to fight with to fight with him again it's it's wow. a calculation they've been cucked yeah they 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 have been uh, thoroughly well and thoroughly cucked when it comes to all of this so uh you want to talk about andrew cuomo at all Let's talk about sure. Andrew Cuomo because, um, you know, it's kind of interesting how the conventional wisdom shifted yesterday. So um, all Democrats, it, it seemed, were, were lining up behind him. You had a great piece over the weekend that the Democrats were treating Andrew Cuomo the way that Republicans should have treated uh, Donald Trump. But it looks like he's going to hang on. Um, he's still got like 50 percent support and he's got key constituents. And I think Andrew Cuomo has internalized the great rule of, you know, from from Bill Clinton through uh, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam, just never resign, just just hang on to power. So give me your take on yeah. Andrew Cuomo. I'm a little nervous that my article got out ahead of things and that I'm going to end up looking dumb and have to write another article about how the Democrats didn't actually learn their lesson from Donald Trump. So please, Democrats, don't make me do that. You know, hate to be wrong. We're on a nice, nice streak of being right here at the Bulwark. Um, but uh, I, look, I, the Northam thing, I, I get it. But I don't, you know, to, to, to be honest, I just think that the Northam thing is a completely different situation, right? Like he gutted it out because what, you know, the, these pictures of him, which were obviously horrific, the, the black, again, face we're from college, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. he's, he's like dressed as Michael Jackson or whatever in college. And then in one of the other pictures, they never actually confirmed it, whether it was him or not. Um, and so again, not good. Uh, but, but, you know, are people, are governors really going to, you know, can you not govern your state if you did something stupid in college? You know, I, I, I think that's a big stretch, right? Like what, what we right, got right. with Cuomo here is very different, right? I and mean, these are both in the 
case of the nursing home lies and the case of the sexual harassment. Um, these were both things that happened while he was governor, right? And and you've got the attorney general, uh, Tish James, looking into, um, I, I believe, the, definitely the nursing home side of thing, possibly both um, uh, lines of accusations. This does limit your ability to govern, right? And, and I think that is where a lot of the Democratic polls landed. You know, they did all put out very clear statements, not caveated statements, which is why I wrote about that over the weekend about how, you know, what they were doing in contrast to what the Republicans are doing. So now, but, uh, you know, again, Cuomo, you know, can gut it out, right? Because they don't, they're not, they don't have the ability to just get rid of them. I guess they could impeach the Democrats now do control the state legislature. Right. So there could be an impeachment effort through the state legislature. So we'll kind of see how, how all of this, how all of this plays out. But I mean, he's, he's a night for me, the, you know, the harassment stuff, you know, all has to be, you know, vetted and, you know, all of this, but I mean, the, the nursing home stuff itself, I and mean, he's just been a disaster and That's the lying about the nursing homes. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's just not um, it's not tenable to be to be defensive of them, and I and I think the folks were a little late to the game on this, to be honest, on the left, but it, but at least bit. they got there. The, the the interesting thing about Andrew Cuomo, you know, reading all of the accounts is, you know, was is really the you know what a dick he was, and the yeah. fact that everybody hates him, which is an interesting phenomenon in politics. I, I, I was reading an article, I think it was by John Harris in Politico, talking about the fact that you know there are people who are just complete jerks. Um, and uh, who are completely obnoxious, who are you know in politics, which which is somewhat paradoxical. Uh, you you've been deeply involved in politics. I, I find this interesting. You would think that people who are attracted to politics would would be people who would have people skills, right? Wrongly, um, would want to have people like them, would treat people well. Andrew Cuomo apparently has been bullying and insulting and just alienating uh, people for so long that w when he needs friends, basically everybody's going, yeah, we've always hated the guy. Now he's vulnerable. We're bailing on him. But it is a weird thing in politics, right? That, 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 that someone who is, you know, obnoxious and disliked to that extent can still be relatively successful for a time in politics. I mean, you must've dealt with people. You go, this person is one of the worst assholes I've ever met in my life. Right. I mean, so uh, what is yes. it about yeah. So it politics like attracts are, people who, yeah. But yeah, there are like two, two paths to success in politics, obviously, honestly. And like, there is the, like Chris Christie was like that, right? Like um, there is the asshole path and, and I don't, I, it's, it's hard to understand. I guess, I guess the biggest explanation that I could give is that, you know, it's a big world. Like, no, like politics is still like so big and sprawling that, like, no matter how many people you're an asshole to, like, there's going to be somebody else that gives you a chance if you're shameless mm. enough, right? And and then the other thing is there's so many suck ups that that people will, uh, you know, as we learned during the Trump era, people will suck up to you if you're in power, no matter yeah. how big of an asshole you are. This is, you know, I think the parallel between in Hollywood and politics, right? Why somebody like Harvey Weinstein could succeed for so long if you have power enough to give people, people jobs put up with contracts yeah. Yeah. consulting contracts in politics or you know jobs as you know appointments um you know or roles in hollywood then then people are going to keep sucking up to you and so this is what happened to cuomo because of the nepotism he gets into the attorney general job and 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 once you have power it kind of doesn't matter how much of an asshole you are um and and I, that's that's like the best way that i can explain it but there you know is this kind of category of people, but there are some limits, you know, there, there, are, there, there tend to be limits to it though. I guess, you know, kind of Donald Trump broke, broke through all that, but I, I think you're seeing yeah. with Biden, right. Uh, 
this other you know side of the coin i mean it's just it has been kind of like amazing how you know biden's just general affability has like accrued to his benefit you know both i think in the election with with certain types of voters but in his ability to kind of get things done keep the democrats in line get people there i i remember the other side of this coin is the one anecdote from john tester which shocked me which was during like the first week of the biden administration it was the first time he'd been in the west wing yeah so over 12 over 12 years of Obama and Trump he wasn't invited one time a swing conservative democratic voter Susan Collins said Biden has called her four times four times already we she's since the inauguration it's only been seven weeks seven weeks you know I mean I, I I would be hard to hard pressed to imagine Obama called her four times the whole time so there is something to you know that that other path does work so we don't have to be completely dark and despondent that it's only assholes like Andrew Cuomo and Chris Christie and Donald Trump that 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 succeed you know this this raises the point that you know a lot of focus on the failure of any bipartisan support for you know the big big packages yeah. and the that you know that uh, Joe Biden's belief that somehow he could get Republicans to uh, engage seriously you know is obviously no, not not playing out but the flip side of that is that the Democratic Party getting the Democratic Party to be cohesive is like herding cats going back to the cats and dogs thing but um, herding cats and the fact that he has held the Democrats together the way he has is really quite remarkable. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know? and, and Charlie, people forget, I, for, you know, like look at the first big initiative of past presidents. Right? Obamacare failed. Like the Republicans had, had, had a trifecta and, you know, because of McCain, you saw it happen. So there you go. Like maybe if Donald Trump hadn't, you know, called John McCain a, a war criminal, not to say that McCain made that vote just based on, you know, personal affront to Trump, but you can definitely imagine a way where Trump gets him to the Oval office and you know they hash out a, a change to the obamacare appeal that gets mccain comfortable enough to get there uh obviously that didn't happen obamacare goes down the fur the original obamacare you know uh, uh democrats had a trifecta they spent all that time trying to get to 60 trying to keep people together it you know it that took almost a year you know so um you know, just just being able to jam things through, even if you have all three branches, is not is not preordained. And this coronavirus rescue happened much quicker than, than either of those did. Uh, you know, there and it's much clean. It is, it, it is much cleaner. I, I I think that you know people are comparing this to the 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 Obama stimulus. The fact that it's you know flat out checks that there's not a lot of bureaucracy. It's very easy to understand, and you can tell how politically effective it is because Kevin McCarthy is at the border talking about border security as opposed to the $1.9 trillion package. So I do think that there are two dangers coming up for the Biden administration. I want them to be negative because I think that I think they're going to score a lot of points um, over the next few months with the coronavirus package. And, and if, in fact, the, the pandemic does uh, you know begin to wane, I think that this is going to be you know springtime for Biden type thing. But two things. Um, this this uh, crisis of the border is a crisis, and at some point they're going to have to get over, you know, not calling it a crisis. I don't think they've got their messaging down on that. And, no, and number two, if the uh, Derek Chauvin uh, trial uh, goes south uh, and there's more urban unrest, uh, the, these are going to be significant challenges for, for for Joe Biden. I don't mean to say that they're fatal, but uh, the the border thing is not going away, and I'm I just don't have a f- sense they have a complete handle on it. Your take? Um, the border is challenging. This is a big challenge that goes back to what, you know, a quarter century now, um, you know, and it's, it's, 
it's been a problem for like the last four administrations at least. Um, so I, look, I, I, yeah, I, I don't, and I don't think that there's a, that there, there's not like a magic bullet full foolproof answer to it. And, you know, I think that if you look at this surge, obviously it feels like the crisis is really picked up right now because, yeah. you know, the conservative media is, has jumped onto it and they're good at like creating a narrative around something. Um, but, but the surge has been happening for over, for about a year now. And, and I think uh, maybe, uh, a bit of an uptick since Biden, I think, obviously you get people who are more hopeful that they're going to be treated humanely and able to get in, but, but, but it's been on the rise now, you know, since back during Trump's, Trump's last year, this happened in Trump's first year, uh, when people were coming to the border. So, uh, I, yeah, I, I think that um, it definitely will continue to cause headaches for Biden. I think that he needs to, you know, figure out a solution that, um, you know, gets the left, uh, you know, that the, that that the left is also comfortable with. I mean, you do, what you do not want to do is is find yourself in a, you know, the human, humanitarian crisis down at the border. And he needs to, you know, demonstrate you know, empathy while also demonstrating security. But uh, it's impossible to imagine a big bipartisan immigration package getting through that could try to start to deal with some of the root causes, right? So I I don't know that there's that there's anything that 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 he can do that will completely resolve that will resolve this over the course of the next two years. So it's really a question of managing it and making sure that the political fallout from it doesn't overwhelm, you know, all his successes, um, which I, I, th- I think will be kind of driven by how the economy is doing and, all, and a lot of other factors. Yeah, no, I think you're right. So anything else you're uh, keeping your eye on over the next few days? Um, I'm continuing to, uh, to kind of look at the other, you know, Senate races, what's to come from, um, uh, what's to come for the Republican party, their big hope in Georgia, um, uh, is a guy named Herschel Walker who's in the NFL um, oh, yeah. working on something on him. Uh, he might even be crazier than people realize. So that's uh, <laughs> coming down, uh, coming down the pike. And um, you know, no, the other thing, Charlie, is my like I, I, I and and maybe this is just me being on vacation mode, but um, I, I think Biden has been a, doing a good job of of navigating this balance of reopening you know, and, and making sure people, you know, hold the line and that there's not unnecessary deaths and unnecessary coda to this pandemic. But I, I just, my continued message to, you know, the, the Biden team and the Democrats is to just not be, spend the next three months being chicken littles, right? Like they're going to be this right. little skirmish. There will be little, you know, uh, obviously there'll be, you know, we're seeing this other strain, you know, uh, there will be little skirmishes that happen about, you know, getting sport, you know, baseball stadiums back open and, you know, s- summer school open for kids and, you know, whether masking is going to be required everywhere and all this. And, 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 you know, obviously they need to, to be led by the science, but, but, there, there's this tendency sometimes to overstate, right? I mean, Josh Barrow has this good rant about the CDC, which is like the CDC has all kinds of guidelines that nobody ever follows, right? Like it's like there. Uh, this is going to give us an explicit rating, but you know, it's like you should wear a dental dam when you're having, um, you know, sexual uh, relations. There's a lot of things that you're not supposed to eat. You're supposed to, you know, cook your steak until it's well done. Like there are all kinds of stupid CDC recommendations, right? So, so like we need to be led by the guidance but but if the democrats continue to like during the springtime for biden are always seen as the ones being like well we can't do that and you can't do that i right. I, I think that people are ready concern. people yeah no i mean this people are ready to go back to life 
But I, I also think that, and, and JVL had a good newsletter about this yesterday, saying, you know, one of the things that the Biden folks, I think, have done well so far is they put policy over the culture war. Uh, yeah. You know, he says, what's the last culture war Joe Biden got involved in? You know, I don't know, you know, Hunter Biden laptop thing. But I mean, he, he really he's been doing uh, actual real world stuff. JVL writes, winning an election, confirming cabinet appointees, fixing the vaccine rollout fiasco, passing the American rescue plan. And so the strategic imperatives are, you know, continue to avoid getting dragged into culture war fights and pursue the popular parts of your policy agenda. Whereas Republicans last eight weeks, you know, that they're still trying to memory hold January 6th, uh, supporting Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, going on and on about the cancel culture, focusing on the border and all of those things. So um, this is know, my point, though, Charlie, is that the Biden's getting parts, stuff done. He's getting yeah. stuff done. Yeah. And the popular parts of his agenda is the fact that because of this coronavirus relief bill and because of the vaccines, people can get back to life. Right. Like that's popular. And so you don't that is a culture war thing that I think he could get he has avoided, but he could get drug into. Right. If it's a year, there is a stupid culture war fight back in the fall that I wrote about about you know, about college football, right? Where that, that asshole Clay Travis was a radio show was like, we should have full SEC stadiums and football should be open. And Trump is like, bring back football. And like, that was obnoxious and, and wrong and against the science. But you can see that happen again, right? Which is like this, like after everybody's, if everybody's vaccinated by May, you know, and, and, you know, 4th of July and August, you know, baseball stadiums, right? Like you're open air, people are vaccinated, right? I, I just, they need to be calm you know you can get accidentally drug into to to these kind of culture war fights through the back end and they shouldn't right. let the republicans try to put a damper on this great biden success by allowing that that lot to happen so that that's my that is actually for me a bigger right. flag than the border as far as a potential risk for for biden yeah. completely agree hey tim miller thanks for coming back on the podcast uh particularly since you are now tanned, ready, and rested. I'm tanned. You can, everybody can see my pretty tan on MSNBC this week. We'll, we'll be looking for it. Thank you, you for all. Thank you all for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow. And of course, we'll do this all over again.